This is Radical Love Life, an ongoing series of podcasts and special events where we explore faith outside the boxes. Hosted by Mark Dilcom and Kelly Wilson. Well, hello there, Radical Love Live listeners. It's Mark. Uh, so I am starting this episode off by myself. This is the second time this has happened. And I think it's almost intentional because it just so happens we have the same guest that this happened the last time, and that is Colby Martin. This feels very personal, Kelly. This feels very personal. I know. And so so here's the story. Kelly's supposedly going to be in here in about 15 minutes, but, you know, Colby and I wanted to get this conversation started. And yes, Colby, you should probably take this personally. Mm. So we will have this conversation with with Kelly once he shows up, but we're not going to stop for you guys. Um, so Kelly, uh, will he, uh, be here when he's here in the meantime, let's start talking to Colby. Uh, it's good to have you back, my friend. Yeah, it's good to be here. What I'm learning is, so your show is radical love live. What I'm learning is Kelly does not take the live part as seriously as you do. <laughs> so he's like, he's like radical love when I get to it, when it's convenient for me, my love will be radical. <laughs> oh my God. What a great bird already. You are on fire. So, He's not here to defend himself. It's the perfect time. And he can only know that I said that, you know, hours from now, if he ever listens back to it. So that's right. Go, oh, good burn. Good burn. So listeners, folks, family, community, uh, it, I hope you listened to the conversation we had with uh, Colby back in December because it was the funniest episode I have ever recorded. Uh, Colby brings a, a sense of humor to uh, the discussion of faith and spirituality that I have not. I've not encountered with a lot of other folks. You know, people tend to be pretty serious about this stuff. And uh, he he breaks the rules there. Uh, we talked about a variety of things, in case you didn't listen. So a quick summary, we talked about how he has audited his own faith. Um, yeah, let's see what else. He called them your, you called them your Jenga, right? Pulling your Jenga pieces out. I probably did. Pieces. I probably grabbed about seven different metaphors and just forced the the audience to follow along. Like I'm not going to explain when I'm switching metaphors here. Keep up. It actually, I, I followed, and you know, so I appreciated it. So the Jenga block, and then we ended the conversation about you telling us what happened the day you uh, merely posted something about in, in support of Obama. Overturning, don't ask, don't tell, and then things happen. Is that where we left off? What a that's what where a, we left off. What a Sylvester Stallone moment, man! Oh. We are just hanging on the cliff. Uh, so should we pick, should we pick back up there? Is that is it, was that your lead in? That is my lead in, my friend. So you were telling us, uh, and Kelly did add in a little color there that you gave us the Cliff Notes version of what happened in our last uh, uh, time together, and that. If folks do want to read the details, you have it in the book uh, on Clobber. But I do want, I want you to take what, you know, we know that you were not, you were told on a Tuesday, don't come back. That's correct. I did Let's not come back. From there. You did not come back. Yeah, they're like, yeah, okay, you're done. Here's your final check. Please don't call Actually, us. I think, so what it was is I, I got to the office on Tuesday mm. after having maybe post on my, I don't remember the exact timeline, um, yeah. but it was a couple days of chaos and trying to, and like, uh, um, what's the, what do, what do PR people do? Manage. Uh, crisis management. Thank you. Yes. I was managing, managing crisis. Summoned to the board. You meetings. were the crisis. <laughs> I was the crisis. Uh, yes. Good gravy. I remember some of those phone calls. 
because wow. uh, back then we talked on the phone. If it was today, we would have just texted everything, which would have been nice because then it would have had a paper trail. That's oh, um, right. So I sh- oh. so they summoned me to the emergency board meeting on Friday, mm-hmm. which there are you never want to have the word emergency emergency in front of <laughs> in front of in front of board meeting. Like there's just never a time where like that's going to be great. Uh, and so I get to the board meeting and I remember the day before getting prepped for this board meeting. Cause I know what it's about. And so I, I'm like, I'm going to come prepared to this. So I, I typed out, it ended up being 10 pages long. I mean, what's wrong? Why do I have, why do I, why am I so verbose? Why do I spend so much time <laughs> overly explaining myself, writing out 10 pages in which, uh, I start off trying to appeal to the heart of these men, like guys. Rem- like it's 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 like i hear mufasa remember who you are like i'm trying to like remember you guys are not we're we're in this together like we've been doing this ministry thing for five years um you know who i am you know my heart you know that we agree on so many things and now let me pivot and share with you some of where i what i've learned the last year or so on this on this topic in particular and I didn't want to just go off the cuff. I didn't want to walk, walk in mm. there and just rely. Cause adrenaline would have been flowing nerves, anxiety. I might've yep. defaulted into my trauma response, which is a kind of fawning behavior where I just sort of roll over and like, no, whatever you guys need from me, I'm sorry for disrupting everything. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I can't do that. I got to go in there and, and like legit speak the convictions of my heart and so i did i came with a, like a prepared statement so i don't know three minutes into the meeting they asked me the you know the the silver bullet question of like what do you think about you know same-sex marriage or whatever it was and i'm like huh funny you should ask i've got and I, and I had copies for everybody right so 10 pages times 10 men so i exhausted a small bush trying to get all, everybody in the room to get on the same page with me and literally yes (laughs) and i passed them all out and read it through um oh you know what i'm sorry it's all coming back to me to quote Celine yeah wait is that celine dion (laughs) i don't remember who that was some listener correct me on who did that song uh but i the day before that meeting i shared that letter with my boss the lead pastor Mm -hmm. um and I got to the end of it and he goes, I'll be honest with you. If you read this tomorrow, this is a, this, this will basically be a resignation letter. Like, oh, he, I... yeah, like he, he, cause he wasn't obviously affirming himself. Uh, and that mm-hmm. was the first time he was realizing that I was. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I went into it knowing mm-hmm. oh, this is, I mean, I knew that anyway, I didn't need him to tell me that it was just the bluntness of it was. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this is what's happening. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to continue living in this disintegrated place where the convictions of my heart are being uh, locked inside for this long. Uh, so I read the letter on Friday. Uh, they dismissed me while they deliberated. I remember sitting in. You know how I don't I forget what your back your church background is, but in the event Episcopalian, yeah. So I, I don't know if you have cry rooms in the Episcopalian world because most Episcopalians yeah. are comfortable with small children in the service. Like that's just part yeah. of it. But yeah, that's part of the experience exactly. Yeah. The crying, crying, like, wailing babies right there with us in the pews. Yeah, no man. Yep. Well, evangelicals, yep. we need to have a, a 
perfect perfection and excellence is somehow the highest thing that we can value in our Sunday services. So everything has to be perfect and crying babies are a disruption to that. So we built uh, these little cry rooms where mm -hmm. mothers can go with their children to be removed from the perfection of the service. Anyway, so I'm sitting in yeah. the cry room uh, and with, with another of the pastors and his wife and, and someone brought us Chipotle and I'm sitting there eating my carnitas bowl, waiting for the deliberation of the board to finish. And they bring me back in and they're like, yeah, don't come in on Sunday. We're going to, we're going to fill your spot on the stage while we sort of sort this out. And so I didn't go to church that Sunday, which turns out, which meant I never really got to say goodbye to my church because it all happened that week. So didn't go that Sunday. Then oh. Monday was our day off. And when I came back Tuesday morning, it was just my boss and one of the other elders. And they handed me my letter of termination effective immediately. Mm. And of course they didn't specify in the termination letter, what the specifics of the firing was. It was just, it was pretty vague. It was like, over matters of uh, theological issues central to the gospel or something like that, something where they could sort of feel good about themselves and show people, look, we defended the the truth of the gospel, everybody, um, but they're not actually going to say what, because that would require them to take a stance, which to this day, I they still have not taken a stance on. Like I, to this day, Mark, I will, um, I will receive, emails or messages through my social media platform from people that have attended that church thinking that it was a safe place for them and their family only to eventually get close enough to what I call the Holy of Holies, which is the actual truth of the organization to find yeah. out, Oh, I'm actually not affirmed here. You gotta be effing kidding me. Oh, so no, there, no. Are, there are, there are actually queer members in this congregation community. Oh yeah. And, 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 oh my God, how horrible is that? This is, this is welcome to the, the new evangelical world. It's called welcome, but not affirming. Yes. We welcome everybody. All people are welcome here. Even our website, regardless of race and orientation and social economic, mm. it's all freaking bait and switch, man. It's bait and mm. switch. And once you get close, like you're there long enough, or you go to serve in a particular way, or maybe you actually want to get married, then they'll reveal the fine print, which is, oh, I'm sorry. Like we actually need you to not be gay if you want to be a member or if you want to serve in this role. And yeah, we can't actually marry you, but man, we love you and you're welcome here. It's utter bullshit. The bait and switch that happens. Uh, so true. I, so, so I don't have that experience. You know, I, I, I skipped all that because of what happened to me as a kid and just, you know, just being away from it. So I, I don't know any of that. And I read and you remind me just in that sharing that, that that's exactly what happens that, you know, it's a, it's like the, the, the thing that I hate most is love the sinner, hate the sin. And it's like, that's, that's bullshit. So, don't do that. Yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah, that's yeah. like the worst thing you could do to that's somebody. Right. That's right. Uh -huh. Yeah. I would rather you tell me to my face. Yeah. I, you, you're whatever. I'm fine. Yeah. You could tell me I'm, I'm going to burn an L for forever. I mean, it's not okay, but. I know what to, how to process them. I'm, I'm basically going to flip you off. And I'm going to walk away. Yeah. But if you're going to try to s slip me in there and, th and then try to, you know, I don't know, uh, 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 clean me up and, and make me uh, redeem yeah. myself. Yeah. 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 God. Yeah. Brene Brown uh, says that clarity is kindness, right? There's a, there's a kindness in clarity that even, even if it's not what a person wants to, he wants to hear in terms of like this, you know, 
my the old church I'm thinking of, um, which I started naming them a couple of years ago. So I'm fine with it. They're called the Grove. They're in Arizona. So um, the Grove and churches like it, uh, you know, the people in the community who are themselves queer, queer affirming and think their church is because the church is pretty, uh, it's pretty social justice in lots of other ways. Like yep. they, they were and still are really committed to things of racial uh, justice and, and social mm-hmm. justice and all that. So Which people, is noble, of course. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. That's of part of why I had so much overlap in yep. my time there. Um, you know, they want, they want the church so clarity is kindness. So even though yeah. ultimately uh, you know, the, the family and the church might wish that the Grove was affirming of them, if they were clear about it to say, you know what, here's our actual position, it would, it would bum them out because they'd probably decide to do a different church. But now they know, like they can make that decision on their own. Like they have, they, they're being, they would be treated with the respect enough to say this is you know, to make an informed decision. So clarity is kind. Absolutely. I want to go back, Mark, because yeah. I'm with you insofar as the uh, the barf factor of love the sin or hate the sin. Yeah. Like there is there's a there's a cringe there. Yeah. And I also feel that and I'm not saying this to disagree with you. You might when I'm finished talking in about another twenty seven minutes from now, you might you might be like, Oh, I agree with you. But I would say, yes, it's cringy and gross. And at the heart of it, I actually can empathize and affirm what that bumper sticker is attempting to name. Okay, go for it. Which sure, is, enlighten. Is, and, and I'm going to take it out of the context yep. of queer people for a moment because yep. on its surface, what that I think what the saying is attempting to do is it's attempting to call people to a recognition that when it comes to the identity, here's how I frame it. When it comes mm-hmm. to the identity of every human, I believe that every human being is a child, like full stop. Mm-hmm. I just, there's no, I don't, I don't think there's any other option. Honestly, there like, there's no, there's no other, there's no other way that a person could be born made of the same freaking eternal stardust that has, everything has come out of that connects all of us. There's no way that a person could be born and not be part of that ergo since they're part of that and the that that it we're talking about is the isness of everything and the isness of everything is can't be anything other than god or the divine so therefore everybody that is born is part of the divine even the phrase imago dei image of god i love but it kind of sometimes creates a separation like here's god and here's you the image of it yep even tighter than that like it's not just the image of god like paul says god is the one in in whom we live and move and have our being. We can't, we can't even be apart from the divine. So anyway, all people are love children of God. So I think the phrase love the sinner is mm-hmm. if I'm going to steel man this position, right? Straw man as we set up a, a, a really crappy version of your beliefs so that I can easily knock it over. Steel yeah. man is I'm actually going to articulate your position in a way that you would sign off on to show yep. you that I understand what you're saying. So to love the sinner is a way to say, I actually don't have any option available to me other than to love everybody because everybody is a loved child of God. Like I have to start there because I have no, there's no place in which I can judge the identity of anyone else. Like that is, I don't even have an option for that. I have to love everybody. Right. 
And then the second part, hate the sin, yep. is, again, if I am being as charitable as possible here, it is a way to name and everyone harbors within them the capacity to bring about pain and harm and suffering. Everyone <laughs> has that. So that Francis Spufford is this British author who has a book called Unapologetic. So Francis Spufford, call, his way of talking about sin is yeah. the human propensity to fuck things up. And he says, we all have that. Everyone has. We sure do. Every human has the propensity to fuck things up, yeah. whether that is to hurt ourselves or to hurt others. Yeah. So to hate the sin is, I, is I think, a way to name that we all have this potential to bring about harm and suffering to ourselves and to others. And that part we actually can talk about. We can, we can talk about that. Now, it has to be done really carefully, really carefully. This is why Jesus says, if you want to take the splinter out of someone's eye, you got to deal with the log in your own first. Like, yeah, buddy. He's not, he's not saying don't ever address the splinter in someone's eye. He's not saying that. He's saying, if you're going to do it, right? If you're going to do it, tread carefully because it's real easy. The measure that we judge others is we're going to be judged right back ourselves. So yep. you got to be real careful when you do it. So if you're going to do it, step one, deal with, your own plank in your eye. Um, so love the sinner, I think, hate the sin is a way at best to name. I can, uh, I can, I can judge, which is to say have an opinion about, which is to say taught, discuss with. I can judge a person's actions. I cannot judge their identity. I just don't get the, I, that's off the table for me. I will right on. always have to love you, always have to see you as a love child of God. Um, that part is set in stone. That's eternal. But I don't have to always be okay with the way that you bring about pain, suffering to yourself or others. Now, we put this back into the topic of, of LGBTQ people, and it doesn't apply. <laughs> right? It doesn't wow. apply. Because what they're saying is hate the sin. People are like, well, the, me being gay is not a sin. So you, you can't separate that from me. But anyway, that's my attempt to to kind of charitably engage with love the sin or hate the sin. So, um, did Kelly just finally show up? Yeah, yeah. she sure did. What up, kid dog? Off at school. <laughs> blame it. He's blaming it on his kid. Wow. I think he saw Colby Martin on the schedule and he's like, damn it, not again. All right, I'm going to be at least 20 minutes late this time. <laughs> so, no, it was the uh, Garden State Parkway. Oh, he's going to blame it on the Garden State Parkway. The of New Jersey. Oh, that's what it is. They, they're they the ones. They're the bane of your existence and tardiness. Yes, indeed. Although yeah. I'm becoming one of them. Every time I pass somebody on the right, Grace is like, you're so from New Jersey. You're so from New Jersey. So Coley and I were just uh, actively in a... Um, uh, you were you thought I was going to disagree. I can't disagree. You You... you it's not even that you defended the point. You actually enlightened me a bit about how to uh, frame uh, love this, uh, love the sin or hate the sin in uh, kind of at a higher level, right? Now, I don't know if you heard the last part. It uh, it works great outside of the queer context, right? Because talking about uh, our belief, and you and I have had this conversation that we are all children of the of the divine, as I say, or uh, children of the God. Absolutely, unequivocally, we're all made of the same stardust. You know, at subatomic level, there is no separation. There is pure oneness there. And when we realize that, then we're all a part of this. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. 
And the second thing that uh, Colby was bringing out was then in case of that, in, in that situation, then we, we have no choice but to love inside of that. But that, that's like, a, that's an absolute, which I agree as well. Mm-hmm. There's also the part where we can all be real assholes, right? Mm-hmm. We all have that capacity, but we can also redeem. So therefore, if you look at it, um, it we can love the person, but we can detest what they do. Let me think about that for a second. Let I don't remember that. that part in Genesis where it yeah. says we can all be assholes. I think that was um, shortly after the fall. Um, <laughs> second chapter, yes. Well, there's definitely, yeah. I mean, there are, it's funny, I, I was just having a conversation online with a family member about a political figure that, oh boy. who represents a lot of things that I detest and who we sometimes talk about. Mm-hmm. This political figure being somebody who we need to, as Christians, love. He is the person. If we're talking about that one, that's a, he is the one. He well, there's, is my, there's there's hundreds, but <laughs> but he but that one is but the yeah, one I am called to love, and I use him as my example. Yeah, yes. and I and I've used that as an example because I remember when uh, and uh, we are talking about Donald Trump, by the way. Oh. Uh, for oh, listeners, I, oh, I gotta okay. go. I gotta go. Forget it. <laughs> when um, when he was elected, and there was a lot of uh, you know huge outpouring of emotion. Um, you know, my my kid was not that old at the time, and really was worried. Like, oh my gosh, the you know the world is ending. We've given our country over to this like horrible, horrible person, and we had to stop and be like, okay, let's put this a little bit into perspective because I mean the. President is a really powerful figure, but not the most powerful figure in the world or even like in the universe. Like there's still like God and there's still people and there's still, you know, like that, um, you know, there are some checks and balances in government and all that. And also like this guy might be a real jerk and represent a lot of values that we don't value, but he's also, he's somebody's dad. He's somebody's husband. I mean, he's, might be a terrible husband but he's he's a child of god like he's struggling like he's got you know a lot of needs that he's trying desperately to fill and there's there's a some part of us that needs to feel a little um like maybe a little bad for him that you know that there's there's a way that we can love while still detesting what they do i mean that's one example uh i mean it certainly can flip on its head you know that um, you know, like we see this week, the news about that um, that kid down in Oklahoma, oh, God, the, yeah. the transgender child that was beaten by their classmates and um, and subsequently died. Yeah. Um, and there's, um, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. It's a really heartbreaking story, but there's a culture down there that has been hounding transgender people and going after them it, try, legislatively. And there's a thread of love the sinner, hate the sin that also goes through that, where there's a whole group of people who are like, the way that we're going to show you love is by restricting your self-expression because we think we're, we think we're protecting you from a worse punishment later on. And that's where that kind of like love the sin, hate the sinner thing can turn and the, the hate the sin really quickly overcomes the the love the sinner part. Mm. Wow. And he brought it home in Colby so that 
I I teed up to you, my friend, because that takes us right where we had started, where we were talking just as Kelly was coming in. So. Okay, yeah. I'm glad I cut. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad. By, by the way, it is good to see you, Kelly. As much as <laughs> likewise, as much you, Kobe. as much as Mark before you got here was saying that he wished that it was just him and I the whole time, and he was bummed yeah. that we were going to show up at all. I'm actually yes. glad that you're here. Okay. Otherwise, you were going to be the new co-host. Yeah. So well, I was we, be the we actually did. I did ask him if that was the case. Yeah. Oh, could, okay. I, could he be the yeah. co-host? Yes. So. Yeah. You were going to be the the Kathy Lee. I was going to be the Kelly. And we got uh-huh. that just already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marvin was going to be the the Michael. So yeah, we had it all mapped out. <laughs> we all figured <laughs> out. Yeah. You were <laughs> you're a Regis man. <laughs> Go find <No>. your boat. <laughs> Back to your uh, desire to move votes towards Donald Trump. I would like to. Uh, I'd like to say that I think that this is part of why I loved the show Succession so much. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you guys watch that or if your audience. Is oh yeah, but part of why I loved it so much, you know, I've, I've I had some friends and even family members that couldn't watch the show because they're like none of all they're all none of their characters are likable. I'm not rooting for any of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm like, but that's the brilliance of it. That's kind of. That, that's why I'm drawn to it because part of what I see happening in that Kelly is the, the humanization of what otherwise are pretty monstrous people. Mm-hmm. And the, in, in psychology, there's a term called infrahumanization, infra I N F R A infrahumanization mm-hmm. and infrahumanization is when we, whether consciously or subconsciously, remove secondary characteristics from another person and by that i mean all animals all mammals share sort of primary characteristics of like fear and joy just these things that kind of bind us to the to other dogs and dolphins and uh, so on but humans have unique like personality characteristics that are like secondary characteristics that make us separate from the animal kingdom what happens is when we when we remove those from other people, whether we think we're doing it or not, what happens is in our minds, we, we demote that person to nothing more than essentially a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and we treat them accordingly. So we treat that person like a monster and the, the brilliance and by brilliance, I mean, ironic of the, in, of the move of infrahumanization, the way that it works in our brains, the brilliance of it is that we can treat someone like a monster because they're no longer, we've dehumanized them. Yep. We can treat them like a monster and not feel bad about it. Like, and still think that we are a good person because we're not aware that what we've done is we have, we've, we've moved them from human to monster. And of course you would treat a monster like that. Like, of, of course. course you would. So that's actually consistent with my character of being a good person. That's why mm-hmm. there's so many people that can just treat others like absolute garbage and yet with a straight face say, I'm a decent person. I'm a good person. This is what infrahumanization is. Interesting. Part of why I love the succession is you get to see behind the curtain that yes, on the surface, these are monstrous figures who care nothing but them for themselves and their own bank account and their own positions of power and authority, et cetera. But nobody gets that way in a vacuum. Nobody does. Behind every monster is likely decades, if not generations, of unhealed trauma that informs how these people are the way they are. 
And what I hear you saying, Kelly, and I agree with you a million percent, which is a lot of percents. Usually it caps out at a hundred, but I'm pushing it all the way to a million. Wow. wow yeah. I know is we can, or I think the invitation is to step back from our initial repulsion at some of these figures in our world, step back from that. Not all the time, but every once in a while, it's worth it to step back and just sit with the reality that people like him, people are the way they are for a damn good reason. And mm -hmm. that's probably because they have so many gaps in their knowledge about who they are, what's true about themselves, so many gaps in their knowledge about what's true about other humans. And all of these gaps are because of their own unhealed trauma. Their parents probably sucked or they had their own experiences that informed how they are. And we can, I think we can look at that with, deep compassion that moves us to say, oh, of course you're that way. Of course you are. If I were you, I would be you, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. uh, Thich Han, rest in peace. Mm -hmm. um, he has this path towards loving because he's like one of the most unique features about Jesus Christianity is this invitation to love your enemies, bless those who curse you. But how in the world do you do that? And Thich Nhat Hanh is a simple formula of understanding leads to compassion and compassion leads to love. Yep. And when we look at our enemies, I would argue for many people, the political figureheads, these octogenarians that are right now are two candidates. They are the enemies for the people on the other side. Look at your enemy. Can you understand how they got where they got? Can you, can you, can you actually get to a place of understanding that if you can, that leads to compassion of, Oh, I don't have to like it. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to say, oh, you're, it's fine then. Of course, you can keep doing it because no, it's just compassion of, oh, yeah. No wonder everything in your life is about manipulation of the, of the truth because the actual real truth is so scary for you. <laughs> like it's, you are so mm -hmm. terrified to face what is real that you twist everything. Yeah. So that's why you do that. And once you have that compassion piece, the piece that goes, ugh. That opens up this pathway to love because now you can see at the core, they're a scared, fragile, insecure um, human being just like I am. <laughs> just right, like I right. am. And suddenly they're not your enemy anymore. That's kind of the magic of this. Is yep. How do you love your enemy? Well, you got to get them to not be your enemy anymore. And then That's beautifully said. I, um, you know, to the point to where Cole, we started off the conversation uh, with, Picking up where the last episode ended with Colby telling us, you know, how it he was summarily dismissed over, you know, his uh, affirmation of the don't, you know, the repeal of the don't ask, don't tell him what happened uh, the, that week of, of being um, uh, sent out into the wilderness from his uh, community. Mm -hmm. So that's what led into, you know, some of the things that in his particular church, you know, they... They do the bait and switch, as Colby called it, where, you know, they're, they do super good things in uh, racial justice and other social, you know, efforts. But, you know, they even have queer folk that are inside their community who don't know that they're actually not queer affirming. I know, right? That's mind blowing. But yet yeah. what he's talking about is not, I don't think is, is, is out of the ordinary at all. Because, oh, it, you know, this, yeah. this welcome but not affirming is ubiquitous with the evangelicalism. It's the, it's mm -hmm. the new way to be because, you know, and if you put yourself in their shoes, you, you can see how at a cultural level, uh, it's not cool anymore to hate gay people, right? Like it is sort of societally unacceptable. Although the, the tide on that is 
been shifting the last couple of years. Oof. But by and large, you have these churches that, you know, them that don't have affirming theology, but they want to not repel people away from their church translation from being potential donors. And so they will make it very clear. Everyone's welcome here. We love all people. Like they really want to communicate that message, but they won't be clear about the fine print, which is, but the closer you get to the Holy of Holies, the more we're going to need you to not be gay. Like that's kind of, but we're not going to say that out front. And so that in, in the evangelical world, that is, it is rare. It is rare to come across an evangelical church that on their website will post, we take a traditional stance on marriage and our church does not affirm those who are LGBTQ. Like, uh, even though that's all their theological positions, they don't say it. That's true. You know, go ahead. I was going to say, um, after shortly after the Super Bowl, when the uh, He Gets Us oh, ads yeah. came out, um, I saw a lot of you know, backlash online among progressive Christians who were like, this is a big bait and switch. It's, you know, empowered by, yeah. um, you know, political money that's trying to funnel people into conservative causes, et cetera. Yeah. I scoured the He Gets Us website. I was really interested, um, for one, because I'm also an advertising copywriter and um, I believe that it's okay sometimes for churches to spend a little money to advertise themselves. So I'm like, is it a matter of scale? Is it you know that they spent too much money to advertise themselves? But I was looking for um, on the the He Gets Us website. I was like, where's the switch? Like I see the bait. Where's the switch? Yeah. And I looked through, and there it's really beautifully done. Where you know it's all about um, inclusivity and um, you know racial justice and um, and I was really specifically looking. I'm looking for it now. I don't know if I'll find it while we're broadcasting but um i specifically went in to see like what do they say about gay people yeah. what do they say about lgbtq mm -hmm. and they the way that they put it was really interesting because they were like we believe that jesus i'm paraphrasing that we believe that jesus loves people of any sexual orientation read the bible learn what jesus says and you will know how Jesus feels about gay people. And I think I think what they're thinking is like if you study the Bible hard enough, you will eventually <laughs> come to, to believe the way that we do. Oh, but you're God. welcome to come in and learn that. I think they'll be surprised if um, that that could potentially backfire. That could also be somebody who goes in and says, "Oh wow, yeah. Jesus really does love a lot of the outcasts and and doesn't get too hung up on yeah. sexuality." But yeah. but it was just interesting that they, because I was looking for that part where they would get to be like, and marriage is one man and one woman, and yeah. we believe in the traditional sexual model, and that it's not there at all. Yeah, it, that's mm -hmm. a classic case that that ad. I remember obviously seeing those ads in real time. That's a classic case of getting it right, but for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, the ad was actually pretty sweet. Like I actually really. <laughs> Yeah. really liked it it really did put a more i would say <laughs> accurate face on what this movement of the christ was originally intended to be it's just mm. in this case it was like a a splash of lipstick on a pig um but my my bigger problem i don't know if it's bigger i one of my problems with the he gets us campaign and this has been bugging me for because i've been doing it for a couple of years now and again, you have to already know 
the theology behind where these ads are coming from in order to really get the insidiousness of it. And I, Marvin, take out the word insidious. I'm kidding. Leave it in. Leave, just here's my self <laughs> I actually, I don't want to, I don't want to accuse any nefarious intent here. Uh, I can actually come at this from, again, a charitable perspective saying that these are individuals who are who are acting out of their convictions as best as they can. And that's a noble effort, even if I happen to disagree with some of the convictions that probably reside in their hearts. Uh, but what frustrates me is I think there's a high degree of probability that the theology of those who are funding and creating these campaigns for He Gets Us very likely includes a kind of doctrinal position where a majority of people when they die go to hell mm -hmm. and then they can split hairs from there uh whether they're predestined to go to hell or whether it's you know sort of free will you know doesn't matter but i'm assuming their theology includes a scenario where most humans go to hell when they die that's I'm sort like, of like oh. the, the narrow road versus the yeah. wide yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. My problem yeah. with the he gets us thing, and again, I know in their minds or they're intending it to be he in this context being Jesus, but even they would say that Jesus is God. And so on some level, the ad in their minds is saying that God gets us. But what frustrates the crap out of me with these ads is your theology maintains that God in the final account of things is perfectly fine either sending or allowing, again, we're splitting theological hairs, allowing people or sending people to burn forever in hell. And you're saying that God gets us? No, no, that's not the case. Because if God gets us, God would look at the billions of people that in your theology are going to burn forever in hell and say, wait a minute, that person never had a freaking shot to understand anything that might require the information necessary to pass through the pearly gates. Again, I'm in their theological world right now when I'm talking like this. Mm -hmm. He gets us. You're saying your God doesn't get the person who grew up being abused by their priest and then wants nothing to do with the church forever and ever, nothing to do with God, mm -hmm. because all they have is a connection to this horrible, horrible, horrible traumatic experience. The God that gets that person would be like, I'm not going to hold it against you that you turned your back on everything having to do with Christianity because of course you would. That's a God that gets that person, right? So this is my problem. This is my frustration with the ad campaign is actually your God, according to your theology, doesn't get us. Your God's kind of a cold-hearted asshole who at the end of it says, yeah, sorry about your life. Sorry about your rotten luck, but hell for you. That's not a God who gets us. Ugh. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll drop the mic and, and leave. take your comments <laughs> off. Wow, so frustrating. That's, um, mm. yeah, I, yeah, the whole notion of, and this is, uh, this is less Calvinist and more Arian, uh, the idea, or Armenian rather, the, the Arians for the, <laughs> you, I might don't want, know. you might want to, you might want to, but now Arian, guys, no, what is this show? <laughs> no, I meant the Ar the Arian uh, heresy from back in the day. Uh, there you <laughs> go. That, the, the original, that, that, that Arian. <laughs> yeah. Wrong, yeah. Wrong area. Uh, the, our, Armenian, Armenian um, there we go. way of thinking is that you have to believe a certain theological truth in order to be saved. 
that somehow this has to have taken root in your brain. And is that by choice as a gift from God? I don't know. But it's if you do not have this specific belief, then you are not saved. Then you're like on the road to hell. Um, you know, and I think about somebody like, um, and this is a, a touch point in a, in a lot of these kind of discussions, it's like somebody like Gandhi, who studied Christianity and was like, oh, this is a really interesting part of the truth. I really wish that your Christians were a lot more like this Christ that you're teaching about. Yet he was part of this other tradition that actually predated Christianity by quite a bit and had had no reason to make a leap and be like, okay, now Jesus is the only way to, um, you know, the only way to heaven. And that's, that's where um, it was uh, Rob Bell used that as a touch point in the beginning of uh, his book, Love, Love Wins, is he was in a gallery somewhere and there was a picture of Gandhi and somebody had taken a sticky note and been like, he's burning in hell anyway. Like somebody went out of their way to point out that this good person simply by virtue of not accepting Jesus as the very only true way to yeah. get to heaven was excluded. And that, um, that has always gotten me that the fact, like the idea of a God who wouldn't get somebody who's in a completely different religious system, who has no reason yep. to become Christian. Yep. Like I would think that God would understand that. Yep. And again, if it's just, I love what you're saying, Kelly, if it's just a mental game of people having to acquiesce to some doctrinal statement to pass some sort of cosmic test, then we have just rendered the number of variables that make that uh, unattainable for people, whether it's cognitive disabilities or some sort of mental health thing that will never even, it couldn't even get to that sort of uh, a theological place, even if they wanted to, it's just not even available to them, let alone the billions of people who've never heard any of the information that theoretically would be needed to sort of pass the pearly gates. So again, uh, I am so with you on that. And, and when you, when you talk about the notion of Gandhi burning forever, my mind goes to, again, what kind of God would receive, and maybe this isn't the point of this show, so we can move on from this topic, but what, what kind of God would receive the, the multiple millions of Jewish individuals who were burned in concentration camps. And after just being burned, then says, oh, but also you're not a Christian, so now continue burning. <laughs> That's not a God. Oh a God gets... Anyway, that is just a, 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 a demonic deity that makes sense from a very rudimentary, primitive mindset that Jesus was, I think, attempting to elevate people's consciousness beyond. And, you know, some people, by the grace of the divine, have... Uh, been able to move into that elevated consciousness. Others are still stuck in this very myopic, primitive, fear-based religious way of seeing the world. Yep. So, Colby, to answer that question, um, now this is exactly why we do what we do with uh, Radical Love Live is to have these kinds of conversations. So it's uh, spot on. Um, these these are things that we know our listeners and uh, ask themselves. And so here's an opportunity for us to share our points of view. And just this entire conversation has been one that I hope lots and lots and lots of people hear, uh, just to, to, to know that others think like, uh, like them. Um, we're not the only three in the, uh, in a podcast, uh, who think like this. There's, uh, cause it doesn't make sense. And the way you just ended it with that an example of, of Jews being, uh, burned in the, uh, concentration camps and then 
uh, being relegated to an attorney and a further eternity of damnation and uh, all of that other stuff that's, uh, yeah, uh, no, that's not a God that I want to be a part of. So um, I am going to take it to Unclobber. Let's talk about that for a minute because, you know, we've, I, uh, I love the work you're doing and I don't think we've uh, done enough conversation um, on what you, what good work you do uh, that was born out of, well, not out of your termination because you already started this. You, you talk about your own auditing and, and deconstruction of your love for queer people, which you didn't have anybody in your family that compelled you. You just, you, this is something that was just inside of you. You were asking the, that, that question. So let's kind of pick it up from there. And then let's talk about the, the work you're doing with Unclobber. So, yeah. Thanks, yeah. Mark. So, Absolutely. uh, yeah, so I did get fired on that Tuesday <laughs> when I came back to work effective immediately. Um, and what, yes, you're not wrong in so far as to, to call back to previous, uh, parts of our conversation. You know, I was auditing parts of my faith prior to that. Yeah. But it certainly, you know, I just want to affirm your initial impulse to say the work that came out of it. Cause really, the, the, the getting fired from that church was, you know, the inciting incident to use yep. a, a term from the narrative world was the inciting incident that, that really catapulted me into an, a new, more free place to do this work from. Cause it, mm-hmm. once the, once the, 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 you know, the, the, the shackles were off that sort of kept me hidden in this, uh, in that world, you know, then I got to just, be more fully integrated with, with myself. And once you, once that happens, that's like mm-hmm. game over. I mean, that, that is all of the best stuff in life is on the other side of once a person finds wholeness. And this is what, uh, you know, the Greek word for, for saved, uh, sozo, S-O-Z-O. Um, sozo doesn't mean what happens to you when you die. Sozo was a word to talk about wholeness and integration and being put back together again. So to be saved, is to be made whole, right? So me getting fired was like my salvation moment of being made a whole. And this is this is the the beauty uh, of the path of Jesus. Quick side note: when uh, we, one of the first things that happened in the Gospels is that Jesus gets baptized by his cousin John, and there's this moment that people described as the heavens opening up, and there seemed to be this voice. They assume it was God who said, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." That's the moment when Jesus's public ministry began because yeah. he now had the, the full integration, the full awareness of, of who he <laughs> was like the, the, that was his salvation moment, his wholeness moment. So, yeah, me getting fired was that now the real work can begin. And I don't mean to say that the previous decade of ministry prior to that wasn't real, um, but it's just it leveled up. It leveled up from that point. Um, but first it had to get real hard and scary and dark, which is, which is a no brainer, <laughs> right? You, you gotta, you gotta lose it all before you can begin to rise. I mean, this is the classic legend of the Phoenix. Um, and it's so boringly cliche because it's so accurately, but because it it's so accurate, yeah. it's the same thing. Um, uh, somebody like me that had to, uh, you know, come to, uh, the very end of the road of my, uh, deep uh alcoholism uh and i you know i that is not uncommon for people to realize you know this is this was this was the end of the road for me i was gonna be forced into something else but 
that was also, as you said, my in, uh, inciting moment where it put me on it, the, 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 the path that I'm on these today. And it, I, I would not be on this path had that not happened. So, right. yeah. So bless those inciting incidents. Some call it uh, grace, prevenient grace, whatever word, you, whatever you, phrase you want to use for it. You need to have that pivotal moment where you are actually stripped down. <laughs> it's not, it's not the most convenient way to do it, but it, 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 it brings you to bear. Right. And you know, <laughs> you might, you will, you will go from there. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, does, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't work otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it, the person who's never experienced, uh, whether it's St. John of the Cross, Dark Night of the Soul, yep. whatever it is, the person who has never endured that, they just don't have access to the deeper reservoir of of, of the fullness of life. And it's, uh, I'm not I'm not belittling or bemoaning the person who's lived a sort of cush, um, un uh, bothered life. Um, I, I pity them only insofar as like, there's so much more to life that's on the other side of great sorrow and deep loss and deep grief. Like there's just, there's so much more there that nobody, and we know this on the other side of it, Mark, right? You just said it on the other side of it. You can look back and you can say, holy shit, that was the worst <laughs> time in my life. Yet now I'm grateful for it. Like how mm. crazy. I know what a crazy concept, right? I'm grateful. So crazy. I actually think, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about this lately that, uh, again, this is the second time I'm quoting Thich Nhat Hanh and I'm not even going to apologize for it. Nice. But he says that when we learn to suffer better, we can suffer less. <laughs> when we learn to suffer, when we get better at suffering, yeah. we experience suffering less. And for me, one of the ways that I can get better at suffering is to reduce the gap of that time between when the, the pain, sorrow, loss, grief happens, reduce the time between that and when I find the gratitude for it, <sighs> right? The more you can reduce <laughs> that and find a kind of gratitude in the midst of this is, I mean, there's so many, so many parts where Paul is, you know, like, you know, consider it joy when you endure the, 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 the kind of suffering and the pain like and you think oh sadist masochist like that's so weird who would ever like oh no actually i can see the the virtue in that the virtue in reducing that time between being grateful for the suffering and the suffering itself because the minute you start to inject gratitude into it it starts to alleviate the suffering because it gives meaning to the suffering. And that's what we need in life is we need meaning and we need purpose. And without that meaning and without that purpose, we just flail into a, a nihilistic sadness that nothing means anything, but gratitude gives meaning to it. So anyway, where, where, what was I saying before that? I don't remember. I don't know. I just love the fact that you riff. We were talking about a clobber trying to get to, you know, this, what you do, this, this noble work. Oh yeah. But, right. but, but, but you keep sharing like the the basis of of you and and what you bring into it, and it's it's it. I don't stop, keep going. <laughs> yeah. so. so yes, that was a terrible. That's what it was. Yeah. Yes, I got fired. Yes, it led to the greatest ministry now of my life. But yeah. it, it, the firing wasn't this fireworks parade of excitement. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was hella hard, man. Like we had to sell our home. Um, which, you know, we were, we were first time home buyers and we bought back in 2000 and 
you know, eight or nine, which uh, oh, was not okay. a great time to buy, yeah. but if we could have held on to it, then it would, you know, would have been great, but we couldn't hold on to it because we had to move and get out of town. And so that set us in a financial hole that we, I, that we've never recovered from, just never have recovered from. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's one, that's one downside to it. Uh, the loss of community. I mean, you can't, you can't understate how painful that is. And anybody who's listening to this and has experienced a kind of um, rejection or expulsion from their faith community or familial community, that, that sort of pain where you, you used to have 47 people on a list of folks you could call in the middle of the night, and now it's been reduced to three. And even two of those, you're not totally sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and to never hear from them again, like that, that's a kind of pain that uh, you don't wish upon anybody. Uh, and then having to, to move back to Oregon, um, to live near family again, to try and just figure out what was next in my life. I mean, it, it was incredibly excruciatingly painful and hard. And also the, the pile of shit that was turned out to be the greatest fertilizer to produce this beautiful garden of ministry. Now that I get to do in and with and for uh, those who identify as LGBTQ wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I um, God, I it just, uh, I'm so grateful you're on the, on, on with us. I like, I feel like we just keep this going and going and going. Mm-hmm. Maybe we will, who knows, but you, the word ministry you use, and I've not thought about what you do in that, but it's exactly what you're doing. And so uh, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, I've, where do we go about talking about this 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 good work you do through Unclobber, not just with the book, but the the workshops and everything else? Like, what can you tell us in in four minutes? <laughs> Nothing in four <laughs> minutes. Uh, but thanks for asking. Uh, no, yeah. So so the book Unclobber that came out in twenty sixteen, uh, the second edition with an, with some edits and updates and study guide and an extra chapter came out in twenty twenty two. Uh, so that's easily def- that's easy to find. Google Unclobber or go to unclobber.com. Um, I also created online courses out of this material. So if people maybe don't want to read or they want to go deeper with it or they just like the video lecture format with f- blanks you can fill in, which are really exciting and fulfilling for lots of people, uh, you know, you can go to unclobber.com again. Uh, courses that you can get and take at your own pace. Uh, a couple times a year, I host live virtual workshops where people can join in from all around the country and we can work through this material together. Uh, and then this year I've been doing, and we'll continue to do traveling and doing workshops in person. I'll show up and maybe a church will host a five hour, um, workshop, or maybe like in South Carolina, a few weeks ago, there were 10 churches that all came together and and hosted this day of working through this material. Um, mm. and so, you know, the, in, Mark, you and I were talking about this before we started, how the reality is a majority of churches in America are still not affirming. Like, and the numbers aren't even really close. Like, I don't know what the actual breakdown is, but it's more than 90% still of churches in America are not affirming. So this, this ministry is not going away anytime soon. Uh, and I consider it pure joy and an honor to get to play my part in it, which is just a part, right? I'm just one person with a, with a particular story and perspective, helping 
to do my part of lifting this 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 heavy rock that I hope is not a Sisyphean quest. I don't think this rock is uh, going to sure fall back not. on us. Yeah. I think we have enough people that are going to continue to keep pushing this thing forward um, that that eventually will we'll tip the scales uh, and this will be remember back in the day when queer people like weren't affirmed in churches, man, that was, that was wild. <laughs> like, you know, we're going to get there. Maybe not in my lifetime, but yeah, I'm going to give it what I, I'm going to give it what I got nonetheless. Yeah. I hope eventually it'll be like uh divorce or, um, yeah. you know, drinking beer or something, you know, that it'll be like, do you remember back when, you know, yeah, or, Segregation in churches, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. The thing that we managed to get past. Yes. Uh, like we can do this, church. We can. You know, this might be a little bit off topic, but I also do want to recommend to our listeners the um, perspective shift. Um, oh, thanks. This is, I've been following Colby's uh, Substack, the mm, perspective shift. There you go. Um, Tell us you know, about it. Well, I just, I really appreciate the way that you are willing to share. Uh, very personal experiences from your journey just as a human that so many of us, you know, this goes back to what we were talking about, about compassion and getting to know other people and just getting to know that other people are sometimes in the same kinds of struggles that you are can be really, can be really comforting and reassuring. So I just, you know, I want to say that I appreciate when, uh, you know, when I get that email in my inbox, uh, because you're you're just really open and transparent, and um, you know I I gotta imagine that it feels vulnerable and a little scary to share your story with the world, but it's um, yeah. but it is helpful to get a look into somebody else's somebody else's life and and just kind of daily journey. Thanks, Kelly. That means a lot. That that and that's where I do a, a bulk of my work right now is uh, PerspectiveShift.co, um, and that's you know I'm constantly writing and processing my thoughts there. So yeah, a lot of my work is in the LGBTQ affirming space, but I have other things that I talk about, think about, write about, and that's where, that's where all that is happening. So thanks for, that's awesome. thanks for saying that. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yep. What a great conversation, my friend. I am, um, I'm grateful for you. I, I, I love, uh, as I said earlier, the synchronicity of the divine and how it uh, brings people together. Yes, for sure. Our souls together. So with that, uh, it's been a great uh, conversation, Colby. Um, Godspeed to your work and everything you're doing. And I hope we'll see you back on Radical Love Live. That would be awesome. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Kelly. Yeah, well, thanks, Mark. And then three quarters of a thanks to Kelly. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad, glad I could be part of this. Um, and uh, glad to catch up with you, Colby. For sure. Thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks, Colby. Thanks for listening to this episode of Radical Love Live, co-hosted by Mark Dilcom and Kelly Wilson. All rights reserved. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and other popular podcast platforms. Go to RadicalLoveLive.com to learn more about us, watch recordings of our live events, and listen to our podcast. We also invite you to check out what Kelly and Mark are doing by going to our websites. Find Kelly at kellywilson.com and Mark at markdilcom.com. This is Radical Love Live, where we explore faith outside the boxes.